0: Welcome to the retro blood. You are all my children now. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it's
1: gets You got any idea how much blood jets out of a guy's neck? You've come back to us, Mikey. She so can s- stop the rage. Well, sometimes.
0: That is better. It may. Look like that person, but it ain't that person. Cause whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all. will tear your soul apart. Get me back! Get me back Don't
1: be afraid. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Welcome back, everybody, to the Retro Blood. As we finish up the month of March, talking all about cemeteries and graveyards and 1980s horror movies. And up next, we finish it off hot. Because if you like talking dead Casper Ghost, if you like tragic stories of death, if you like that guy from the Munsters being a really good actor, probably my favorite part of the film. And if you like having ancient burial Indian grounds, this is the story for you, because Retro Blood's talking all about Stephen King's pet cemetery. Oh, yeah. The we're pet cemetery. To, uh,
0: yeah, back to uh, ancient Indian, ancient burial Indian grounds. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah we're back to, uh, back to, so we this month we spent a lot of time in other countries, like we watched a Spanish movie. But now we're back to good old American horror mood.
1: Yeah. Good old America, ancient Indian burial grounds that we don't destroy because of legal reasons. (laughs) That we can put dead bodies in They come back to life as demons. I mean, come on. What more can you want? Right.
0: Right. Plus, we shouldn't destroy them, whether it's legal or not. We should not destroy
1: uh, burial Indian grounds. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, this is pretty cool. We're actually doing a pretty famous movie. You know, we you know here on yeah. the retro blood we do all types of movies. You know what I mean? Like we do like these ones you never find. You know we do mm-hmm. we do big box office hits. We do low box box office hits. We do no box office hits at all. We, no box office hits. Yeah. So you know obviously Stephen King during this eighties era. I mean this guy was releasing movie after movie. Like we've done a Stephen King movie on here before, Silver Bullets, brother. And we did our uh, our Monster Month or our uh, Universal Monster Month. Um, but, yeah. you know, he has a, uh, you know, he has a plethora of movies that came out, not even in the 80s, not, not only in the 80s, but in the 90s as well, too, and then beyond. Um, but, you know, this one should be pretty interesting of kind of how it got made. And um, we'll talk about that yeah. on the uh, who booked this shit. You but, know, you know, but, you know, it, it, I was going to say, the, uh, go ahead. And I was going to say, you know, the interesting thing about
0: Stephen King, he was also an author. He wrote books, too.
1: Yes. Yeah, I mean that's what his main people thing know was, that,
0: but he was <laughs> he was he was also an author. Yeah. But yeah, people always talk about Stephen King movies. But yeah, they're they're basically just adaptations of books that he yes.
1: wrote. Yeah, I mean that was like his main yeah, gimmick was the, writing the books. And then yeah. you then from the book, yeah. we would read the book and then we would make it onto the to the movie <laughs> that way. <laughs> I exactly forgot I forgot right. I forgot, John, you're one of those book guys. Like well, I fucking read the book. Right, I'm a book guy. I'm I'm a book guy. (laughs) You're like I read this book too. (laughs) You watched the film. That didn't happen in the book. I'm like, oh god, I don't give a fuck if it happened in the book. All right, I just want to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the book guy. So, but uh, this one's this one's fun though. You know, this movie is. I was surprised of how serious the tone was. Cause you know a lot of movies that we watch in the '80s and stuff, like they don't. A lot of them don't really have like a very serious tone to them. You know, n- yeah. I'm not saying like, not none of them did. I'm just saying there's a lot mm. that didn't. You know, most of the time in the '80s, especially this late in the '80s, we're getting those cheesy slashers a lot. You know, just to get a yeah, buck or two. Right. So you know, but this one, the way it was made and the why it was made is is very fascinating. And like I said, we'll get to that on the uh, who booked this shit. Who booked this shit? Uh, but you know. You know, obviously, Stephen King movies are are more into like the the detail. You know, obviously, because they're like we were saying, they're they're adapted from books. So when it comes yeah. to well written and a lot more, um, what's it called? Like pretty much a lot more thought about storyline, like thought about storyline, a lot more detail. Yeah. Um, you can notice that a lot of his the films, and which is cool. He actually, you know, now I don't think he does it for all his films, but he he did on this one at least. You know, uh, help produce it. You know, to keep it uh, close to the source material. So. But, you know, yes, a lot of fans yes. be like, well, brother, that wasn't in page 53 of the, the Pet cemetery. <laughs> that motherfucker, he didn't do that shit. I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. We don't, oh, we don't know anybody like that, though, do we? No, no, no of course not. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, everybody, like on every Retro Blood, if you guys are new here or not, you know, because usually when we do, like, these, like, big big reviews... You know, like the, the the big time hits, you know, the, the, the well-known horror movies. We usually get a couple of new audience members, which is cool. Everybody, welcome to the Retro Blood. We like to have fun over here on this show. Yeah. Uh, but like what we do on this show, we like to create like a weekend for everybody. Like what would we be doing during that weekend of this movie being released? You know, we don't just like to talk about the movie, but we also like to talk yes. about, you know, other things that we like, mainly pro wrestling and metal, because that's what me and Allison like. We like the pro mm-hmm. wrestling and metal brother. That's what you know, we're really into. And you know, we could talk about food if you guys want us to. I mean I'd probably but I'd probably be eating uh, Pepsi. Pepsi. Uh, am not eating Pepsi. I'd be drinking Pepsi and I'd be eating <laughs> a pizza during <laughs> this film. If you want me to talk about that. I mean come okay. on. Okay. Like what's more commercial than Pepsi and fucking Pizza Hut during this time. So we'd probably be chowing down on some of that in that boys. But you know, we like this we like the cradle weekend. You know, we're not only gonna be going watching Pet Cemetery. We're also going to be listening to some metal. We're going to be driving around on our Trans Am, trying to go to some shows. So, Allison, what is Mm -hmm. going down with pro wrestling during the release date of Pet Cemetery? April twenty first, nineteen eighty nine. What are we
0: doing? What do we want? So, on April twenty first, on April twenty first, we'd be watching Pet Cemetery. But on April twenty second, the next day, the Mm -hmm. Saturday night. There were two um, pretty, not historic, but pretty pretty amazing, I would say, WWF shows to go to. Oh, wow. One was a TV taping, and one, one was a house show. So usually when I do the which show would you rather be at, it's usually a WCW show and a WWF show. Yeah, But this is two WWF shows. Of course, I already know what your answer is going to be on this one, and I won't go through every single uh, match on the card. Just for time, but I will uh, I will I will kind of go through uh, a lot of them. Okay. So on April twenty second, nineteen eighty nine, the WWF was doing a, a TV taping in Boston in front of ten thousand people.
1: Okay.
0: They were also doing a house show in Philadelphia at the Spectrum in front of fourteen thousand people, which is odd that there are more people at the house show than at the uh, TV taping. Of course, TV tapings were different than we've talked about that many times. Yeah. You know, TV tapings were just basically to get people in the building. Yeah. Um so your first show was at the Spectrum. Um so it started out with Paul Roma who pinned Boris Zukov, so I guess that would be a decent oh. opening match. Uh WWF Women's Champion Rockin' Robin who is uh, uh Jake the Snake's sister. Yeah. Um she, pin- she pinned Judy Martin. Okay. Bret Hart Bret Hart versus Kurt Henning. Oh, to a time
1: Went to a time limit draw. That'd be a great. Match. That would be great. This is right before um Brett was gonna get pretty. I mean, this is like right before he's gonna be breaking out because I think he broke out, you know, to be like a huge big star around you know 90, 91, yeah. 92. So this is like his, yeah, he was like, still yeah. This is like his, I was gonna say he's still an undercard guy. Yeah, but he's he's working his way up the ranks right here. So mm-hmm.
0: then we had your boy Hercules who got pinned by Dino Bravo. Damn it, he lost.
1: He lost, bro. I love Hercules, man. Like, I yeah, know, like, okay, I yeah. don't know. We have to review this sometime. <laughs> I so there's like this special, I'll just say it here. There's like this special I wanted to do for the lights out where <laughs> it's the best of the ultimate warrior. Yes, there is, there there is, there is a thing, okay. There is a thing. What is that about five minutes long? I don't know, but it's on YouTube. It ha- okay. It has like <laughs> the ultimate warrior's best matches. I was like, there's a fucking thing out there that has, what? The the thing is, we couldn't do for the Retro Blood because it was released in the 90s. But the opening, I watched it for a little bit. The opening match is, bro, I can't believe this match. It was fucking Hercules versus the Ultimate Warrior in a chain match. Wow. Bro, this match, it, it stole my heart. I mean, it was just posing, grabbing the chain, barely doing anything. I was like, this is awesome. So I love Hercules. He just went out there, muscle dude. You know what I mean? Growled a little bit. Had some, had some fucking, you know, chains on him. Jacked his all shit. Yeah, he was great. <laughs> I loved him.
0: All right. Then the next match was it was our tag team match of the night. Well, a tag team match of the night. So where we had the Bushwhackers, which is Butch Miller and Luke Williams. So I think that's the original Bushwhackers. Yes. Um, and they de- And this is not the goofy Bushwhackers, this is the real Bushwhackers. They defeated. The uh, Brain Busters, Arne Anderson and Tully Blanchard. Oh, wow. And I bet this match was hard hitting as hell.
1: Yeah. And like uh, the Brain Busters, they were like newly signed at that time mm-hmm. to uh, World Wrestling yeah, Federation after watching, after walking out of Crockett, brother. Yep. And they, they were a great team. There. I mean, my God, like the, they were managed by Bobby Heenan, which was a great manager for them. And, yep. you know, no nonsense. They would be like the, uh, the, so they would be like the, the foundation team. You know what I mean? Like the team that goes out right. there with other teams and just has fantastic matches. Yeah, the, like FTR. Yeah, pretty much like FTR. Like <laughs> exactly like, <laughs> like FTR. the FTR
0: of their day. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much. Um, right. They could have a good match with anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, even, even me and you. If me and you were in a tag team oh, yeah. against FTR, they would lead us to a great match.
1: Pretty much, yeah. I um, mean, that's how great those guys are. I mean, exactly.
0: They're exactly. not like that's, that's the hallmark of a good wrestler.
1: Yeah. And they weren't known to be the most outlandish characters that the WWE had at the time, but that's why you gave them Bobby Heenan. I mean, exactly. Most of the time when you, you know, the Heenan had his Heenan family and, you know, not everybody needed to be with Heenan. Like Rick Rude didn't really need to be with Heenan. Mr. Perfect didn't need, need to be it, but it helped. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It has helped solidify them to get to the next level but, like a exactly. team like the Blaine, Brain Busters, even though I think Tully Blanchard could hold his own when it comes to promos, but the actual style and the way that they did promos was probably in uh, Vince McMahon's m- mind, too southern. You know too what I mean? Stu- exactly. So that's why yeah, we're going to put, yeah, we're just uh, th- like, you know, he probably liked the foundation, how they worked and how the characters were, but he probably didn't like their actual like promo style. So that's probably why he put Bobby Heenan with them because, you know, Mick- McMahon hated that southern style of wrestling brother. Yeah, so. Yeah, he like he always called it wrestling, which yeah, exactly. is what we called it down here too. Yeah. It's wrestling. Wrestling, brother. Um
0: So then we're not even to the main event yet. So right before the main event, we have Jake Roberts who defeated Ted DiBiase. Okay. I mean, that would have been a decent match. Anything Jake Roberts is in is going to be good. Pretty much, yeah. Um then you had your main event of your house show in Philadelphia. Now, this is a big market. so it's probably why we got this. So your house your house show main event Randy Savage defeated WWF Champion Hulk Hogan oh, wow. via countout. Wow. So he won. He won via countout, but you got Hogan versus Savage at a house show, which that's pretty amazing. Pretty
1: amazing. That's a great show, right? That's a great, great show. You know, but you know, during this era, you know, the a lot of like the WWF and wrestling business was gate revenue. You know what I mean? They probably got like a little yes. bit money from the TV. You know, for exposure. But most of the wrestling through this area was all about, you know, how many butts you can drill in the seats, brother. You know, I mean, exactly. obviously that changed when they started getting a lot more TV rights. Um, but, you know, it's still like a lot of the wrestling style business is still all about the gate. So, that you know, it doesn't shock me that they're going to have those too big on like a, a big show like that. But, you know, I mean, let's just be honest, like during the, this part of the 80s, I mean... Seeing Macho Man versus Hulk Hogan is basically like seeing like the two mega stars of the territory, you know, fight each yeah. other. Exactly. So I mean, anytime you can see the two megastars, I mean, it, it's going to be a, you know, a sellout. You know, it's going to be a, a blowout. You know. So, but yeah, I mean, exactly. that's that show sounds great. I mean, actually, all the matches right. on there sound great. You know, this. This uh, year of the WWF is actually pretty stacked. I mean, they're getting some good talent is, in. They're getting right. some younger talent in there. Um, you know, we're, we're probably getting a little sick of Hulk Hogan right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. it's not fully sick of Hulk Hogan, but we're. But if you're like a die-hard wrestling fan, you are kind of like, okay, who do who do, who do we got next? Who who's next? Right. You know what I mean? Like we're we're, we're clear. Yeah. and yeah, then we're getting there. The person that we're thinking is next is of course the Ultimate Warrior. And that's what would lead mm-hmm. up to that Toronto WrestleMania. So it's very interesting Correct. little era right here. So, but what do we got so for now, that TV taping?
0: So, the other show here is in Boston, Massachusetts, in front of 10,800 people. So, this show, so I already know which show you're going to pick. Yeah. And it, and, but, but, uh, I already know what show you're going to pick, but we'll go through this anyway. So, the opening match was Greg Valentine, who pinned, uh, this kind of shot me actually. So, Greg Valentine pinned the Blue Blazer. Who was Owen Hart? So I did not know that Owen Hart was doing Blue Blazer this far back.
1: Yes. Um, So he actually, I think he actually came into the E as a Blue Blazer. Right. And then later on, he did that tag team with Coco Beware. Yeah. Which I forgot what they were called, but they had like the the Zuba pants on and they wrestled in (laughs) those. And then later, after he was done with that, that's when he became like just Owen Hart, you know, Bret Hart's brother. Mm And then became the, uh, of course, 94 was his breakout year. Yes. Uh, but yeah, but I believe he actually came into the E, has the blue blazer at first. Okay. And then, of course, he All would right. adopt that character later on, which.
0: Uh, tragically. Tragically, yes. yes. Um, So, uh, so that would have been a great opening match. Second match of the night, the Barbarian pinned Jim Neidhart.
1: Ooh, I mean, so, the Barbarian, the Barbarian, uh, I always mm-hmm. liked him. I was obviously a really big fan of him. I think I talked about this before, but you know, he 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 and Ming were like my my favorite WCW tag team. I mean, these guys were just they just go out there and they look tough. They were tough. They just beat everybody else, beat everybody down. Yeah, they uh, were legitimately tough. Yeah, exactly. Like there ain't no bullshit over there. Like these guys go in there and they're gonna you know fuck you up. So they were they were great. But you know, Barbarian he was good. You know, he's yep. more, when I think of Barbarian, though, you know, I mostly think of yeah. him and Crockett. Yes. Or WCW as well, too. Like, he, I know he had a little stint in WWF, but I think most of him has, like, a, a Crockett wrestler. Right. So then, uh, next up, we have uh, James's favorite gimmick,
0: the Honky Tonk Man who pinned Hillbilly Jim. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I would have went to the bathroom during that shit. That was the, That's a bathroom match, for sure.
1: I've never been um, a big fan of the Honky Tonk Man. Like, I just didn't get it. I mean I mean yeah the Elvis thing was good and I, I the only thing I liked was when Jerry Lawler called him his cousin. Yeah, <laughs> I mean I um, I I like I think
0: I mean I don't I think he's a better wrestler than his gimmick implies. Yes. But yeah I I I see what you're saying. Well I
1: heard I heard that he when he was in Mid-South he was actually a pretty decent, you know, wrestler. Mm. You know, it's not until he went to the E where he got that gimmick where he didn't really do that much. Yeah. Right. I could see him,
0: um, that gimmick happening because he, I have a feeling he already had that hairstyle. I don't know what he looked like in Mid South. Yeah. But like from that era of time, a lot of those guys would have had that kind of Elvis hairstyle. And I could see Vince seeing that and saying, that guy looks like Elvis. Yeah. Put him Um, on the screen, brother. Put him on the screen. So the next up we had, um, um, Tito Santana, who fought Rick Martel to a no contest. I'm sure this match was probably good, but we wouldn't have had to hurry back from the bathroom for that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm sure that was pretty good. but it's Solid uh. solid match. Yep. Then we're halfway through the card now pro- about. So we have our tag team match of the night. Demolition, which was Bill Eadie and Barry Darso this night. They defeated the Twin Towers, which was the Big Boss Man and Akeem.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Via, D- via DQ, of course. Of course. Okay. Um so not bad. I mean that would have been a decent, you know, tough man, big man match. Yeah. For sure. Um next up we had uh, Lanny Poffo, the genius. Rest in peace, Lanny Poffo, who just recently passed away. Yes. Um he pinned Jim Powers. Oh. So you know Jim Powers is back, brother. Yeah, Jim Powers is back in the restaurant. This that was, seat. On was on television. <laughs> exactly. This was not on the house show, this was on television. Then we had Brutus Beefcake who pinned Bad News Brown. So, Bad News Brown is a great wrestler. Uh, Brutus, uh, you know, he is what he is, I guess. Um, He's Hulk Hogan's
1: buddy. What was this? Was this like Saturday night or what what was this recorded for? I don't know. It doesn't tell me that. It's probably Superstars or something like that. No, what was that? Wrestling Challenge, I think it was. It could have been, but it also could have been recorded for.
0: They could have just recorded this show... Well, like, a lot of the TV tapings from the time were recorded at different places and used on different shows. So, um... The, uh... So, you know, so it could have just been used on... on some of it could have been used on Superstars, and some of it could have been used on whatever their main show was at I think the I it was Wrestling
1: Challenge, right?
0: Uh, Wrestling Challenge, yes. I believe you're right. So now we came up to the main event oh, okay. of our Where TV taping. So your main event of this night was The Ultimate Warrior... Who defeated WWF Intercontinental Champion Rick
1: Rude via countout? Oh, okay, I got you. Okay, I see what's drawing so the, that bus was, in the that seats. Was... Okay,
0: <laughs> so I'm gonna guess that even though that first show was pretty stacked, you're gonna go see Ultimate Warrior and Rick Rude. I
1: know that is a tough one. So we got a TV <laughs> tape. i could be on TV. You know, I, I gotta be be get. TV, yeah. I gotta get through Jim Powers. I gotta get yeah, to the honky tonk, man. <laughs> then I get to see my favorite yes. Rick Rude, and one of my yeah. other favorites, and... Ultimate Warrior. Oh, but, but I don't yeah. know, man. Hulk. <laughs> and if I got the, that would be really tough to be honest with you, mm. because that it, let's say you know, let's say we just happened to get two tickets to each show. Yeah, I don't know, like that. Because I mean, it's it's hard to pass up a Hulk Hogan and Mantra Man match because they're such big legendary stars exactly and you know obviously ultimate warrior during this era is like on fire right now like he is great but the thing is the match quality isn't really there but he did have his best matches with rick rude true so phew, that was a tough rick one. rude was a great wrestler oh i guess it just depends to be honest with you i probably would have gone to the um philadelphia show
0: yeah, I think that show was better.
1: I mean, if we had um, if we had yeah. free tickets to each, I would drive the Trans Am to there just because there there's just a little bit more on the card there. You know, I I would be bummed mm-hmm. out missing that Rick Rude, seeing him live, obviously, but you know the Philadelphia one just just has a little bit more more to it, yeah, you know, a little bit more a little more star power there, which you know it, it makes sense because you know like I said. You know, a lot of the wrestling business at this time was like a like a house show business. So if you're in a big market, we gotta, we got to put the top stars on that market to get the gate, brother. It, so.
0: uh, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Because they were making most of their money from that. So yeah, so that's our
1: two shows. That's that's what we've been going to to see wrestling that weekend. Yeah. It would have been a tough um, choice, but, you know, I think we would have picked the right one. Yeah, right. I agree. So. We've been driving the Trans Am up there, brother. Full way. Pepsi's. Right up to fill phil- it. we got some yeah. Budweiser's like our boy Judd. Uh, in the back, some Pizza Huts. they got some Pizza Huts on there. We'd we'll be good mm-hmm. to go. And while we're driving up there, what would we be listening to? Around the, the the metal and the rock scene during 1989. You know, there's a couple like metal albums in there we wanted to talk about, but we have to talk about this band just because it correlates with this movie. Yes, and that's going to be the 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 punk band. We don't talk a lot about a punk band on here. Every once in a while we do. But this band is very fascinating because they're like one of the most le- legendary bands in the music scene. And Absolutely. that is going to be the, the Ramones. Yes. I love the Ramones. So I don't mind talking about the Ramones. I yeah. thought
0: they're at the Ramones. Anytime you want to talk about them. I love the Ramones.
1: You know, I'm a big, you know, I'm a big fan of them too. And I'm a fan of them for like different reasons. So... Interesting. So... I you know, when I was growing up on my music scene and everything, I, I knew a little bit about the Ramones, but I never went like hardcore into them. You know, listening to all their tracks or nothing like that, even mm. though I knew yeah. about I knew about them. But right. one of my favorite bands, uh, a lot of my favorite bands are like foreign bands. So I was a big mm-hmm. fan of the band, you know, Sixty Nine Eyes. I like typo negative. I liked, you know, those kind of like goth bands, I guess you would say, like those foreign goth bands. That had that you know sure. particular like style. And you know, when I was doing some of my research about the Ramones, I was like, okay. You can tell the the, the inspiration that Ramones did to a lot of like these goth rock bands. I mean, oh, for sure. I mean Absolutely. It, it's no they they're basically ripping everything off. Okay? I mean, which is yeah. which is fine. I mean, especially the 69 eyes, just the way they their outfits look and how they, how they do photos and stuff. like, Okay. This is like straight from the Ramones. You know what I mean? <laughs> Especially, uh, what was the main singer? What's the name? Jimmy, what his name? Joey. Joey, Joey Ramone, Joey Ramone. <laughs> yes. Probably people yeah. out there, they remind this motherfucker they didn't Ramone. know his name. We're going to rape him over the <laughs> effect. Ramone, that's <laughs>
0: fucking great.
1: <laughs> so, so, you know, obviously, he, you know, this is the way his style was. You could tell that he influenced a ton of like these rock and roll, um, party you know goth bands and stuff and you know to their credit ramones you know i you you probably know a little bit more about them than i do earlier years um but if i'm mistaken like they're like they're kind of like one of the big bands that kind of revenue kind of like made the punk scene
0: yeah i Uh, mean really they did when the ramones started there really wasn't punk rock i mean in my opinion the ramones invented punk rock there was there was really no no such thing. And I'm sure there's someone out there with a big nose who knows that, you know, that'll tell me that, well, in 1971, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, as far as what we think of as punk rock, that's what the Ramones is. And, and I don't think anybody was, was really using that term when the Ramones first started. Um, I mean, the Ramones used that term in their early songs. So, I mean, people were saying it, but I don't, I don't know that what we think of as punk rock had really, uh, had really started until uh, until the Ramones because they people always talk about how punk rock started in England in '77 and there's no way that's true um, because the Ramones actually tell a story <clears throat> on one of the documentaries where they were like they toured England in 1976 I believe and uh, five or six and they were basically um, they basically had nothing they had no money at all so they were touring throughout Europe and they went through England. And like their clothes were basically falling apart and they kept them held together. Like their t-shirts were like, literally like clothes use, they use like safety pins to pin their t-shirts together to keep them from falling off. And, um, so they go back home and then a year later they go back to England and everyone is wearing safety pins in their clothes. Like it's a fashion statement. Hmm. Um, and they were wearing, and they, and they thought, you know, that and, and the Ramones were doing it because they had to, to keep their clothes together. Um, but um, but yeah, it's, in my opinion, the Ramones invented punk rock, and that's a hill I will die on. Um, but yeah, I mean the the song, but it's not just that. I mean, the songs are so good. I mean, DD Ramone, yeah. the bass player who wrote most of their songs, was just such a great fucking songwriter. Yeah. and I mean, which is evidenced by the song they wrote for this movie. Um, <clears throat> but um, but yeah, I mean, he's just such a good songwriter. And and then Joey was just a great singer. And, you know, they they were just a great band. They were just so good. I mean, they were nearly perfect, honestly.
1: Yes. You know, style's good. Music's good. Shows are be fun. Uh, mm. so, so when it relates to this movie, they they basically they released the album uh, Brain Drain. Brain Damage. Brain Drain, yes. I yeah, suppose. Brain Drain. They released it on May 23rd, 1989. But on that album, they actually made a track for Pet Cemetery called... Pet Cemetery. yes, and that one got released around June 1989 as a single. And, of course, they released a music video uh, for this um, movie. And we've seen that before. You know, we talked about how on uh, Dream Warriors, you know, one of our old-school retro-blood uh, reviews of Nightmare oh, on yeah. Elm Street. You know, of course, our, our main guys, Dokken, did that. Dream Dokken. Warriors, they did the video for the horror movie, So we've seen this before, and horror movies were where rock bands or metal bands will will do like you know music videos for the movie movies coming out, uh, but a, uh, apparently uh, Stephen King was the uh, the guy who pretty much got the Ramones on board because he was such a big fan of Ramones. Yes. and he uh, not only did he you know Ramones write a song for um, Stephen King for this movie, but um, Stephen King also used uh, one of his. One of, one of Ramon's songs in the movie, too, is like the one where the truck driver was driving. Um, he was yeah. listening to she, the Sheena's uh, a punk rocker. Yep, yeah, she is a punk rocker song. So, yeah, so yeah, but like you know, this music video, I'll probably play it for the uh, Facebook, you know, for all the extras during the uh, Retro Blood Facebook. Um, this video, this music video is pretty fun. Um, but mm. it does have like a little, I guess, like a little controversy to it. So, you know, when they released the uh, the The album, um, Brain Drain. Apparently, this is like one of the last albums that the um, that the uh, the Didi Ramon was on. It's like one of the it, last. Yeah, ones. it is the
0: last album he was on. Yeah,
1: and it was the first to feature Marky Ramon since his initial firing for the band after nineteen eighty um, the Jungle one. So so yeah. So, what is it called? Sub- Sub-
0: subterranean Jungle. Yeah,
1: Subterranean Jungle. Yeah, so and also too so apparently this pet cemetery song got a lot of hit like it, it was like a big hit um for the for the like the radio audience so they were digging this digging this song and apparently i guess it, it topped a lot of the uh, the charts the charts at the time charts. yeah it was a pretty big hit radio uh, hit at the time for sure and apparently like always the hardcore fans We're not liking that. And that's a little discussion I want to to ask you, Allison. So, let's say one of your, and this has happened before with bands that I know about. Let's say one of your favorite bands that you kind of grew up with, they were kind of a a not well-known band. But, you know, very, you know, underground and, you know legendary underground bands one of your favorite bands and everything and nobody knows about them or if they hear them they kind of like you know sc- scuff them off and stuff and then they do yeah. one song that everybody plays and they're getting all this radio success and now everybody's loving them how do you feel about that
0: I always hate it
1: you're so you're on the you're on I, the part that you hate that
0: yeah I can't think of a time when that's happened that I haven't hated it um, because, and it's not because like they're successful, but it, it's all, it's never good for the fans. It's good for the band and, and, you know, and I'm, and, and that's awesome. But, uh, like the, the, the most recent time I can think of that is with ghost. Yes. Um, and how much ghost changed after they became big. Um, or I guess they had to change to become big, but, um, but yeah, ghost, I mean, I saw ghost at the orange beetle, um, you know, ghost was like a little band and now they're like huge. I mean, they're. I mean, they're like, you know, yeah, they're still in arena. yeah. Yeah, arena arenas. Though. Um, and which is crazy to think about like a band with that kind of image and that kind of message. Um, you know, and then like, you can tell because just random people who probably don't even listen, normally listen to rock music. Would come up, will come up to me sometimes and ask me about them because they know I listen to metal and like they'll just they'll like yeah like you know I like the go like Ghost like you know I think like their image it's just all show right and I'm like "Uh, yeah sure sure it is, Um, but yeah so like Ghost is the most recent one I mean I remember when it happened Metallica, um, you know like Metallica Metallica was is the first time it ever happened to me um, because Metallica was a band that I listened to. And, you know, I used to get, like, beat up by rednecks because I was wearing Metallica shirts. Um, And, you know, that's basically how I learned how to fight, essentially. But, like, I used to get beat up by rednecks for wearing, like, Metallica shirts. And then Metallica became, like, the redneck band. Yeah. Um, You know, and after they got rid of all their, uh, all their original fans, like, you know, after the Black album, they got huge, and they started making all that shitty music. And then, like, all the rednecks who used to beat me up started liking them. Um, but but yeah, you know, it, it always happens and it's always bad for fans because like people who have been there from the beginning, it's easy to get tickets to shows. You can always get up close and you always have this like connection with your band. And then all of a sudden you get, they get huge and then it's hard to get tickets up close. And the people up front are the people who just are, are always just the people who just started liking them. And it's just, I don't know. It's just always shitty. Yeah. Um, the only band that's ever really been able to to beat that has been Pearl Jam with their Ten Club, so like a, like and, and basically the way they do their tickets or did for years, it's kind of like that now, is like you join Ten Club and then Ten Club gets a presale, yeah, and then you can um, you can um, basically go into a lottery for tickets, and then the lower a number you have fan club Ten Club number you have, which means you know you're you've been in Ten Club longer you get better seats. So the people on the front row are people who have been in the club the longest.
1: Yeah. I think a and, couple other big I mean, bands that, are doing that. and That's kind of cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool to do. Um, but yeah, like, you know, like I, you know, like I used to see ghost in a, you know, a place with a thousand people in it. And now I'm sitting in the back of an arena, you know, in front of people who started listening to them when they heard, you know, heard them on TikTok or whatever bullshit.
1: Yeah. So you know, with me, I don't. That doesn't. Really, that hasn't really affected me too bad because, to be honest with you, most of the bands that I truly like, they like they just never been a big radio hit around here, right? Um, because I didn't. You know, I started listening to the Ghosts until they were like not. You know, they're bigger now, but when I started listening to the Ghosts, they were like they were still doing. They were still doing like American Airlines Center, so they were still they were they were being pretty big. You know. Yeah. When I started listening to them, man, I can't think of any kind of band that's like kind of like been like a breakout band that i listen to um, well, it doesn't
0: happen much anymore
1: yeah like most of the most of the bands from like
0: the t- you know the music that we listen to which is mostly metal they don't get big like that anymore you know what i mean like the only other band i can think of other than ghost is mastodon okay, like i used yeah. to see i saw Mast, yeah i saw mastodon in the orange peel and i saw them at smaller places than that but now they probably
1: wouldn't even play a show that small. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I could say Mastodon because so I know. saw them up up front and close at the OzFest. and yeah, I mean kind of Lamb of God, I guess. But when I was listening, uh, Lamb of God is L- a good example. Yeah, yeah. But you know, when I was seeing Lamb of God, they were still like headlining um, some tours, so like you know, like tour festivals and stuff. They were headlining yeah, some of those, yeah. so they were they were they were big. But they obviously they would get a lot bigger. Um, but I did yeah. see them at I did see them at smaller clubs, too. Yeah, the, they played the Orange Peel a few years ago, but
0: that, that would probably never happen now. I would imagine.
1: So yeah, it just it's pretty interesting how you know certain songs can catch fire and can kind of take yes. a band to the next level. Obviously, it's good for their career, but you know when it comes to like the hardcore fans, it could be a little little tough. You know, especially if you're a big fan and you want to see them, it just gets that much tougher to, uh, to watch them live. But, you know, then and also, too, you know, with, with success can come a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, turmoil in the bands as well, too. But, yes, um, which the Ramones
0: were full of turmoil at this point. Anyway. Yes.
1: So the, I just want to read this before we get into some uh, who booked this shit. And I think this is okay. pretty interesting when it comes to some of the background of how they uh, created this Pet Cemetery song. So like we said before, King is a huge Ramones fan. And he actually invited the band to his house in Maine, um, and then they, because they were playing a show, I guess, in New England. Uh, so during the visit, he had D.D. Ramone. He handed him like a copy of the Pet Cemetery novel, and I guess the uh, he he read it in the basement, like. And then uh, apparently the story is one hour later, D.D. returned with lyrics to Pet Cemetery. So I'm not sure how true all that is, but that's that reversed. story is absolutely not true. Yes. I mean that story doesn't even make sense. So yeah. do you
0: think that D.D. D Ramone could read Pet Cemetery in an hour? I mean it's probably a pretty big book, but yes, it's it's a very big book. I mean it's not <laughs> the big it's not big for Stephen King, but it's it's yeah. a it's a big book. I mean I got my cop my hardcover copy. Well, maybe he's right a right
1: maybe on. he's a hardcore reader. And yeah. I mean so yeah, that just, that, just... that story did not happen. <laughs>
0: um, that story did not happen. Um, actually, you can actually look that up and that Marky e. Ramone wrote that for his his autobiography and it's an absolute lie. Even Stephen King says it's a lie. Okay. Um they never came to his house. He did meet with them though. Yeah. Um and you know and had dinner with them but in like 1982 which is before the book came out. Um but no, basically they were just hired to write this song. Like Stephen King loved the Ramones and he's like I want I want the Ramones to write a song for my movie and Dee Dee Ramone would essentially do anything for money. Um because he was like in the throes of his like heroin addiction I believe at this point still and um he would do anything for money so he's like yep we'll write a song for this movie uh, I mean you can even tell from like like uh the lyrics to the song that he didn't even really know what the movie was about
1: yeah <laughs>
0: um but you know and and apparently the original version was a little bit different but that guy Daniel Ray who produced that album help them make it into a song that would play on the radio. Gotcha. That would be more radio friendly because they considered it a ballad. <laughs> they considered this a pop ballad. Oh, yeah. um, but honestly, like honestly, if you really listen to their, their, the musical output, even from the beginning, I mean, all their songs are real. DD wrote really good pop songs. And and in fact, when they started, they weren't trying to be like an underground punk rock band or anything like that. They thought they were writing you know, bubblegum pop songs like they listened to from the fifties and the early sixties. So that's what they they kind of music they thought they were making. Um, but he's, I mean, their songs are really catchy. They're just really good. Um, really good pop songs. And they have been ripped off a million times by a million pop punk bands. Pop punk wouldn't exist today if it weren't for the Ramones, which, I mean, you could hate the Ramones for that, I guess, but none of that shit would exist today. If it weren't for the Ramones, They, they created all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, like, I mean, he's just a great songwriter. And I mean, for them to get some kind of like success from this, I think it's great.
1: Yeah. So apparently, I didn't know this. And you got to tell me if this happened or not. So apparently, because, you know, D.D. is on his way out from the band. Yeah. And according to Marty Ramone, he was actually trying to have an attempt at plant at a hip hop career. Did that ever happen? So
0: that that's true. Yes, that did happen.
1: How is... Did he actually make a hip-hop
0: uh, album? Yep, there's an album out there. I'm sure that there it's never been pressed again, but it is out there. Wow. I'm about to go I mean, I, I guarantee it's on the YouTube. It's got to be on the YouTubes. But yeah, he was about to go... He was about to go solo. He wanted to make... He wanted to make... He loved hip-hop music. He loved rap music, and that's what he wanted to do because he thought... Because, you know, you got to understand that rap music was kind of new to most people at that point. I mean, it had been around for... 10 years or more in the underground, but to like, it was kind of new to most people. Um, so he was, he, and he, I could see how you would think that was like the new version of punk rock maybe. Um, but he did make some solo albums that were really, really good. Uh, DD says he never even played on this album. Like he says the bass parts are not him and that he was basically not getting along with any of those guys. Um, and they only made two more albums before they broke up two more albums with original material and he wrote songs for all of those but they were all purchased from him though um so he made several re- pretty good solo albums and and the ramones purchased those some songs because obviously he was the main songwriter and it was hard for them to write song really good songs without him so they bought r- songs for the rest of their career from him but uh but yes he uh he did attempt uh to make a hip hop album um i don't know if it's under his own name though or is a um, name? I need to look that up he might have had a gimmick name for it, well, I mean
1: DRamon is a gimmick name too, but yeah. um so while you're looking that up, I just want to say so the pet cemetery it became the band's highest charting hit in the u s like we're saying, so it yeah. peaked at number four on the billboard's modern rock track chart and number yeah. six on the radio and records new rock chart but however, apparently this song was also nominated for the now defunct Razzie Award for Worst Original Song in 1989. So it was yeah. getting love oh, and hate. Those people. It was getting love yeah. and hate. I actually thought the song was pretty catchy and nice. I liked it.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's a good song. I mean it's definitely commercial, but but only because they slowed it down. Yeah. Um. So yes. Yeah, so he released his hip hop album under the name D.D. King. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and um, the song I'm thinking of is it's called Funky Man. Um, and then he released an album called standing in the spotlight, uh, as DD King. And so it's, it's, uh, um, it, it's, it says here, the album is sometimes considered to be one of the biggest failures in recorded history.
1: Oh, and there you go,
0: brother. <laughs> Breaking it in. Um, you gotta do it yeah, together. I mean, it had, it had such classic songs as mashed potato time, oh, okay. too much to drink. Yeah. Uh, commotion in the ocean. I like it. Uh, not <laughs> when I wanted, <laughs> yeah, so this was,
1: uh, <laughs> so this was, this was, uh, this was probably a lost classic. <laughs> yeah. We got, <laughs> everybody got to check it out, man. The D.D. <laughs> King. All right. Yeah. This, I see it right here. Mashed potato time. Baby <laughs> doll. Too much to drink. Oh yeah. <laughs> this all happened in 1989 too, man. Maybe we'll talk about it. It did. Yeah. It
0: yeah, did. did. Maybe we we'll put some it of it on the uh, Facebook page.
1: Yep. Yeah, well, yeah. Let's see if I now. I did the Pet Cemetery video. I'll see if I'll see a like a video from the DD King himself and play it on yeah. the Facebook page. But let's roll along with the uh, Who Booked This Shit? Who brother? Booked This Shit, brother? So, this movie had a lot of stuff going on. Of who booked this? Obviously, this story was written by Stephen King, it mean, was absolutely. Uh, made from his novel, the 1983 novel of the same name, Pet Cemetery. And so this movie went through a couple of, like changes, like a lot of movies did in the 80s. So I just want to talk a little bit about that. So apparently the film rights were originally sold to George A. Romero. Oh, Can you believe what that? a great movie that would have been! I know exactly. In nineteen eighty four, for ten thousand. So hmm. King had previously declined several other offers for a film, uh, uh, a film made for his from his book, but uh, Romero eventually had to pull out of the production. Because he was busy making Monkey Shines. Also a great movie. We're to do that one sometime. Hell yeah, we will. So the executive, Lindsay, loved the finished script and advocated for it to be made at Embassy uh, Pictures, which we talked about them before, and then at mm-hmm. Paramount Pictures after she became vice president of production there in 1985. But she was told each time that there was no more demand for Stephen King films after, the, after the, the, the the mass release of a bunch of adaptations from his novels that were released in the early 80s. So, you know, like we were saying before, you know, Stephen King was like, you know, he'd make a book, movie, make a book, movie, make a book, movie. I mean, like, they were just coming out there like fucking popcorn, all right?
0: Yes, I mean, there was a ton of them around this era.
1: So, but apparently it wasn't, it was only during the 1988 Writers Guild of America strike that Paramount reconsidered because the studio was facing a possibility of shortage of new products for their 1989 releases, so and they already had a
0: script for this. Yes,
1: and they already had a script made, a script you know already put in place. So they took Stephen Key's script for Pet Cemetery, and it was it was, it was already finished and ready to go. So Duran was given the green light to adapt the rights for Paramount and start production. King, who had finally say on the who had final say on the choice of director, met with the studios first choice of director, Mary Lambert. Mm-hmm. So she is the one that, uh, that, uh, got this ball run. I thought she did a great job. in And yes. just film as well too. And she, she's known for doing, um, a lot of like horror films as well in her career. Uh, she was in, impressed. Uh, um, she, she impressed him with her, like her, her, the way she was and about how she wanted to keep everything close to the source material, which pretty much, you know, for a book guy, you know, because you know, a lot of times, like you know, if you're adapting stuff from a book, you got to change certain things to make it flow more like a movie. You know, but she was trying to keep as much stuff as as close to the source material, so she would get picked, and she did. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: I would say that Stephen King novels are very hard, if not impossible, to adapt into a movie. Yeah, um, this is one of the easier ones, probably um but they all do the same thing and and i may or may not talk about this later in the show but this particular story is particularly personal to me um which is one of the reasons i initially did not want to do this movie um but um it the movie and this is not a situation where like the book's different brother it's just like the movie as with most stephen king adaptations has it'll have the uh the um top level story from the book right mm-hmm. it'll have the it'll have like the base level story in the movie but everything that's that all the meaning from the story is gone so like you don't it doesn't get into what the movie's actually or what the story is actually about because like if you ask people what pet cemetery is about now they'll say it's about a kid who kills people but that's not what that story is about at all. Not what it's really about. You know what I mean? Like yes. what he's trying, what the message he's trying to convey. But, um, but yeah, so, and this was, I feel like this was a really personal story for him too, which is why he was so hesitant to let somebody make a movie about it, especially after they'd fucked up so many of his other movies, his other books. Uh, in recent memory.
1: Yes. So a couple of things, you know, so the, uh, the original, um, layout of the whole film was actually long, so they had to cut it down. Mm-hmm. You can't go past one forty, brother. All right, not like nowadays, we got like no- a three hour movies no. and shit. Yeah. So uh, and then they had they also they also had like an uh, alternative ending where it just shows Rachel coming in and they cut it, but this one actually showed more. They wanted more of the more of a graphic ending for it as well. too. Yeah.
0: So yeah, that's how the book ends, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yes. And then a couple of things about some of the casting. Um, you know, the the kid who played Gage, uh, they were very mm. impressed with that three year old kid, Miko Hughes. Um, it felt, it felt, I guess, uh, um, Lambert. She she felt like he was like a natural, despite his like young age and stuff, which he did. You know, for a kid actor, he did pretty good. He was. I think it was great. Great, yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, we had the the probably my favorite. Uh, person on this movie, act, um, you know, actor wise, um, Fred. Fred, was it Fred Gwynn? Fred Gwynn. Yeah. Fred Gwynn. He yeah, played the, Herman Munster. Who played the Herman Munster brother. Fucking played Jud on this movie. I thought he was fantastic Judd. in this movie. Like I He's thought he so good, dude. That guy is such a good actor. I mean, just great. I mean, he he nailed this part. He was so good in this movie. Like he would played the perfect Southern grandpa. You know, like mm. he was great. And like this is when he would freak out too, and he dropped the beer all the time. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is so good. So some of the filming of it. Um, so it was shot in Maine. The story was set, and yeah. King himself wrote the screenplay. Production was based in Ellsworth, and and auditions held at the Grand Theater, where several hundred locals uh, auditioned to be extras for the small small spoken roles. King, King himself was very involved in the filming process, consulting with Lambert frequently on her ideas for the story and any deviations from the script she wished to make. So, so the, you know, going really hand-in-hand hand with everything, like we were saying. Uh, so apparently the house used for the Creed's home is a private residence near Hancock, Well, mm-hmm. Judge's house across the street was actually a fabricated um, construction around an existing house that was insulated with fireproof material so that the mock-up could be burnt around it. That's interesting. Yeah. The interior of the Creed House was recreated on a sound stage in Ellsworth, while the interior of Judd's house were built inside the Bangor arsenal. So let's talk about some other locations. Mount Hope Cemetery and Bangor for the graveyard scenes, and then Ellsworth Town which stood in in for the hospital of the University of Maine was also our filming grounds. So a lot of filming grounds in Maine that were taken over here. So, and I thought a lot of the scenes, you know, like the, the houses and the road and the cemetery and the, the ancient, uh, burial ground, Indian burial ground. That was all very well shot and very well made. So this is a very yeah, eye pleasing movie. Yeah. The set looks beautiful. The pet cemetery set is gorgeous. So a couple of things before we get into the full review, brother, um, Obviously, the legacy of, of Pet Cemetery. They did release a sequel, Pet Cemetery Two. Um, it didn't do as good as Pet Cemetery One. Like a do I've never don't seen do. that. I don't think I've <laughs> ever seen it either. Um, but you know, I you know, the box office uh, for Pet Cemetery is about eighty-nine point five million. So, and obviously, you know, I would say it's like the, the biggest horror movie, but it's definitely one of the most uh, recognized horror movies. Um, it, it's weird because, you know, a lot of like, like, you know, for example, Children of the Corn, there's like a ton of sequels, of that one, but Pet Cemetery really only has one sequel. And then it has a remake that happened in 2009 as well. Yeah. Which is controversial on its own. Yes. I, I thought it was okay. The 2009 remake. Um, I thought I had some, you know, some pretty good, pretty, pretty good actors in it. And they did the stories pretty similar. Um,
0: yeah, except they switched the boy and the girl which yeah. defeats the whole thing about the story about what the girl the girl did in the in the this movie and in the book are completely taken out of the of the remake for some reason
1: yes we we're trying to switch it up and it didn't really work that much brother but everybody let's get into the original pet cemetery let's get into the full review of the pet cemetery
0: What is this place? I brought you here to bury Alan's cat.
1: Daddy, is church all right?
0: Why, Judd? I have no
1: I dreamed he got hit by a car, and you and Mr. Crandall buried him in the pet cemetery.
0: What did we do tonight, Judd? What we did, Lars, was a secret. <laughs>
1: May the Lord bless you and keep you.
0: Has anyone ever buried a person up there?
1: May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. You're thinking thoughts, that's not thought of.
0: Daddy's gonna do something really bad! You're thinking of putting him up there? Don't deny the thought hadn't crossed your mind. Come back to me, Gage. Come back to us.
1: Presents Stephen King's all time best selling tale of horror. Ah! Pet Cemetery. Alright. So we open it up. We get straight to the business, brother. See a song that says Pet Cemetery and it's spelled wrong. It's not with a C, it's with an S. hmm Alright. Remember that. Like a little kid would spell it. Exactly. So we see a couple of shots of all the graves and we have like these kids talking about it. Basically, we're seeing like a pet cemetery where we see like a bunch of kid made uh, tombstones and stuff with the, some writings on there. Uh, we hear like a little rhyme. The dog lived 20 days. Uh, cost me $50. I was one yeah. of the... <laughs> he lived for 20 days and it only cost me $50. And we see uh, a great that says, uh, Hannah, the best dog. And then my favorite was the differ, differ, a hell of a sniffer. Uh, <laughs> until he died, he made us richer. <laughs> 1971 to 1979. So then we just see a bunch of shots of uh, overhead shots of the cemetery. You know, it's kind of showing off the, uh, the cemetery. Then we see a fast truck roll by. So, you know, what I liked about this film they... They set up everything pretty great about, you know, setting setting the scene for everything. So we we know it's, there's just like this pet cemetery here. We know there's this road with these trucks that don't stop. They don't go over fifty five miles an hour. Yeah. So we see a house is for sale. Then we see a family come up, and we find out that this family is going to be the Creed family.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot different than the, uh, the Rocky Creed family, but you know, a, little bit, yes. yeah, a, little, a bit. little bit different. Yes,
0: there's a little bit. A little bit different.
1: That could be a good crossover, though. Yeah. Like, you know. they
0: could be, like, you know, we could have Apollo Creed show yeah. up in, at the Pet Cemetery.
1: Yeah. Yeah, or just, like, and, an uh, alternative universe. His is son the son of
0: Adonis. Yeah,
1: ex- ex- exactly. There you go. So, they're there. Um, they just got the house. Uh, their daughter, Illy, she mm-hmm. goes up to the uh, the little swing set, little tire swing set goes in there. They have a young son named Gage. Gage. Uh, the dad is Lewis, and the mom is going to be Rachel. So those are the creeds over yeah. there. And you know they're yeah, all talking Gage about the creed. House.
0: Sounds like a wrestler's name.
1: It does. It does actually. Gage <laughs> Creed. He's coming to get you revenge. Um. <laughs> so there. So we basically see her swinging. At least she's swinging on there. She falls down. She's crying. They they get mm-hmm. the uh, young Gage. They they don't pay attention to him, which is a reoccurring theme. In his movie, yes. <laughs> they leave him alone. <laughs> they do. <laughs> the 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 gauge he lets their cat Winston Churchill out, Church for short, Church. The cat goes around, and Gauge is about to go onto the street. So we're we're, we're foreshadowing what's going to be happening later, and he's about to get run over. But then our good old neighbor, Jud, mm-hmm. Jud Crindall, uh, saves the. Uh, the young Gage, and you're he saying, "Hey, you got to... I like, I liked his voice on here. Like, gotta watch out he for was that great. road now. Yeah, that road now. Yeah, you gotta yeah, be careful that uh, road now.
0: That uh, upper New England accent. Yeah, kind of.
1: Yeah, you gotta watch out for that road now. It's like, and then there's talk about, you know, it's uh, welcoming him. He's introduces himself. He's just telling everybody, to kind of watch out for that road. It could be a very dangerous road. And eventually, the, they all meet, and Rachel brings the kids back in. And then Judge saying, hey, it's good to have you know, people move in this house. It's been too long since we had people live in this house over here. <clears throat> and they kind of ask a little bit about, um, hey, what was that little pathway down there? And he's like, oh, that's a good story. I'll have to tell you sometime. And we'll go down there, and I'll tell you that story. <laughs> 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 <Sunday>. <laughs> it was great. Um, so... So now uh, we're at nighttime. Uh, Lewis is just playing around with the kids. You know the mom's checking around on the kids, making sure they're all sleeping. We can hear trucks in the background, so we know that these trucks are going to play part of what our story is going to be. And then of course the dad, he he. So the dad is Lewis, and he is going to be basically the new doctor in town. Uh, he's the new doc. So if we hmm. say doc, we're talking about Lewis because he's the new doctor. Right, and he goes up to first he walks, he kind of looks at the pathway a little weird, and the the, the cat scares him, and then he goes up to Judd's house, and Judd's like, oh, you want a beer?" And he's like, "Yeah." It's like, "Do you want a glass?" He's like, "No." He's like, "Good, good guy." I was like, "What's was like fucking a test? we <laughs> fucking wrong putting the beer in the glass."
0: Because because Judd's saying that only pansies drink beer out of, gla- out of, basically beer, out saying, of glasses.
1: <laughs> I was like, you fuck, don't need bro.
0: A, you don't need a glass; It's turning it out of the bottle.
1: I'd have been like, fuck, I like, I would have fucking failed that test. I was like, <laughs> yeah, got- <laughs> Jed, I don't want you to get up and get me a glass. <laughs> I'd have been like, you got one of them cold ones you keep in the freezer. He was like, fuck, now you southern, but you know you fucking fucking get the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah. So damn it, I, like, <laughs> I would have passed that one. And then they they start talking about the road. He's like, yeah, that road over there, you know, killed a lot of pets around here. And I, if I were you, I'd get you. Uh, he's like, yeah, we got a pet. We got a cat. We call it Winston Churchill, church for short. Judge's no. like better get that fucking cat neutered. All right. neutered cats don't so, yeah. stray away that much. And I was like, well, I'll put it under consideration. Yeah. So well. he, so judge is warning him. A lot of pets have died on that road. And that's basically what the pathway was. It's like this little cemetery for, for pets. And he said he's going to go show them to him. Um, but like he like so basically saying that he's like because of that road over there that's why a lot of these uh these pets were dying. Mm. So we get a couple of shots of uh, uh Lewis uh playing with Gage, uh, and this is when we meet uh Missy. So Missy is kind of like I guess their helper or something. Yeah. I'm not sure. Well, so this is a um this
0: is a really odd. I don't. I'm not gonna keep doing this, but so this is an odd. Um, thing. She's an odd character because she's a combination of two characters from the book. Oh, okay. So in the book, Judd Jud is married to a woman named Norma. Okay. Um, And, and Missy, Missy Dandridge is a character in the book, but she's like a housekeeper basically or, or whatever. She like cleans stuff. And she's in the book, but she doesn't have the role that she has. She basically does Norma's role in the movie. Which makes, I mean, it makes sense because they wanted to shorten the story, and they, you know, this is one less character that you
1: could have to deal with. Gotcha. Um, so Missy, she, you know, the the house, uh, she's like, she talks to Mrs. Creed, Rachel, about, you know, her stomach being hurt, and she wished she was married to a doctor because of her stomach pains, but she says maybe yeah. she's just not that lucky. And then Rachel just looks on, looks looks at her for a length of time, and. They, we finally get the scene where now it's going to be the family, the Creed family and Judd. They're walking down to the pet cemetery to figure out why, what it is. That's where Judd's going to show them. Uh, They notice that it's spelled wrong. Spelled with an S, not a C. And then they kind of go around there and they look at all all the pets. And then, uh, so, you know, Judd's going on saying like, yeah, that road over there pretty much killed half these pets in here. You know, I told you it was a lot of them. And he was like, you know, mm. maybe it's good, you know, that they, they made this place. Nothing will grow in this land either. And then this is when we see Rachel kind of get a little defensive. Saying, like, what does he mean it's good? Death is never good. These kid's pain is never good. And Joe's like, well, you know, them kids got to learn about death sometime. And she's like, why? Why do, they, why do they have to learn about death? So we're seeing, like, you know, Rachel is not a big fan of talking about death. And, and I like this so because, you know, this movie is, like I said, well, well written. And a lot of this stuff that's bringing up here, they pay it off later. And they kind of explain the characters, not just some... They don't just say shit and not explain it. So, Mrs. Creasy takes uh, the baby, Gage. Um, and then they find a goldfish here. And then the judge is saying, yeah, not all like pets just, you know, that died on the road right here. And then he starts telling him about his, his dog that he buried over here named Spot. You know, he said Spot didn't die on the road. Spot died of old age. And he buried it over here, um, and then he t- goes to Ellie. He's like, Ellie, you know, you know what a graveyard really is. He's like, he's like, this is where the dead speak. And then she gets all freaked out, yeah. like, ah, oh, what the Which fuck? It's like it's no, no. a great thing to tell a child. <laughs> oh, no. And he's like, no, <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. I don't mean like literally speak. I mean like their 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 markers are speaking to you. Okay, <laughs> my bad. Oh shit, I fucked that one up. <laughs> so. And then now we're back at nighttime. Now Ellie, she is asking about church and will church, he's uh, basically saying, is church going to die? You know, is, is God going to take the um, uh, church away from her? And she's basically saying, like, you know, like, uh, God can have whatever pet he wants, but I don't want him to take church, purchase my pet. So we're showing that. The parents are gonna have to. They're not doing it right now, but they're gonna have to give Ellie the talk of death. And you could tell yes. that Lewis kind of wants to tell her, but but um, the wife is is hesitant to tell Ellie anything about death, um, which which is explained later with her background. So, but that's what's yes. going on over here, and Ellie's just getting very upset because she's super super attached to the cat, Church. Which you know we've all had pets that we've been very attached to. And obviously, when a pet dies, it's like your own family member is dying. So I get it. So now it's gonna be this next morning. Um, like Gabe, He just throws food on Ellie. <laughs> so I like that part. And then we have um, we have Ellie. She's getting ready for school. And then of course, um, the uh, the pet uh uh the the church is rocking around. And then basically, she's saying like she doesn't want church's nuts to be cut. <laughs> and he's like, Where the hell you learn that language? And then uh Lu- um Lewis is he's now getting ready for work, it's gonna be his first day. And him and his him and the wife, Rachel, are kinda going back because Rachel wants to promise that when church is under anesthesia and getting his nuts cut, that he's gonna wake up just fine, everything's gonna be okay. He made she made Lewis promise that to Ellie. And Ellie's like and then Lewis is like, Listen, like, you know, Sometimes these cats don't wake up from this stuff. When that happens, like I don't want to have to promise her. What if she doesn't wake up? You're gonna have to explain it to her. So they kind of get into like a little exactly. argument about that. Because, like I said, the mom doesn't want to tell anything about death to Ellie. She thinks yeah, she's too young. Yeah, she has young. a death phobia. Yes. So now uh, Lewis he meets Missy outside, and he figured out that she's the one that told uh, Ellie about the nuts being cut. All right. And then they, they talk a little bit, and he goes on to, uh, to, to work. And then, of course, um, the doc and the wife, they eventually make up. Like, they're like, you know, have a fun first day at school and stuff. On his first day of being a, uh, the, the town doctor. And on his first day of being a town doctor, some kid gets ran over by a car. All right? Mm-hmm. And they're bringing his ass up to the fucking hospital. He gets up there this kid's head's all fucked up and everything, bleeding everything. Uh doc asks to get an ambulance, an emergency to get him to a, like a hospital. I guess like maybe doc's like I think Lewis might be like the this he's either like the school's doctor or he's like the town doctor, but they you know this guy since he has such big trauma in the head needs to go on to a bigger hospital. Yeah. And of course, you know, then well, he, he, oh, go yeah. ahead. I was going to say, well, I mean, he's an adult. He's not, like, a child. Oh, the no, he's not, like, a kid, hit. but he's, like, a teenager. Uh, yeah, okay, I guess so. I, I mean, he could probably teenager. pass for, like, 18, 19. Okay. You know what I mean? Because he was with a bunch of, like, kids that helped him over there. So, this guy, so, Lewis Fig, you know, realizes that this kid is dead now. You know, and he's like, damn it, I told Rachel nothing but a sprain. And then out of nowhere, the dead guy wakes up and he talks about the soil. Don't go past the, the, the rotten soil over there and he said his name Lewis. And then Lewis is like, How do you know my name? How do you know my name? And then the guy uh, passes out. So we're seeing like this this uh this person came back to life is now haunting a little bit of Lois. Or Lewis. I don't want to say Lois. Mm. Lewis. Lewis Lewis, yeah. Lois. Lois Lane, brother. <laughs> yeah. So now we're back, um, you know, after all this stuff happened. And we see that Lewis, he's now in bed. Right, he's like falling asleep. And now he's seeing the dead guy everywhere. And the dead guy is saying, hey, follow me. Follow me over here. Follow me now. And, of course, Lois thinks he's, like, dreaming. Um, and he's helping. So they go down to the basement. Mm -hmm. And like I said, Lewis thinks he's just dreaming the whole time here. And he kind of wants to get out of this dream. And they eventually go from the basement to the pet cemetery. Fog everywhere. All right. This actually had a pretty uh, tame fog for some of the movies we've seen before. Yeah, compared to some of the movies, yes. And he is now saying, this is the place where the dead speak. But you do not want to go to the place where the dead walk. And then, correct. Lewis is like, I just got to wake up. I got to wake up. I I didn't I didn't kill you. Or nothing. I didn't. You know. I didn't. I didn't kill you. Or nothing. You were just there when I was dead. And then, basically, this ghost is saying, like, listen. You try to help me, so now I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to warn you about this place. Do not go over there. Don't tread. And then, of course, then Lewis wakes up, thinks it all a dream but he did have some mud on his feet. So now he's back at his office and he figures out that ghost or that guy who's haunting him. His name is Victor Pascal. Pascal. Yes. And that's the guy who died. Who's now, I bet he's basically like the Casper of our, of our film. Right? Well, the friendly yeah. ghost, the friendly ghost brother. So now the Creed family is getting ready for Thanksgiving. And apparently they are going back to Chicago because that's where Rachel's family is from. I guess that's where they all moved from is basically Chicago. And they're going to go visit uh, Rachel's family up there. Uh, But uh, Ellie is worried. She's worried about uh, the church being okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's just worried about going on and then she's basically like saying, Take care of my cotton, you know, and uh Lewis is saying, Don't worry, everything will be fine. Because Lewis he, he doesn't necessarily get along a lot with Rachel's family. So he's gonna come no, up they there they hate him. Yeah, they hate yeah, he's he's basically gonna come up there a little later. So And then
0: there's um actually in the book
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Um there, there's like a like obviously the book the book takes longer. The book this whole movie takes over one weekend essentially in the in the movie but in the book it takes a whole year but um but you find out that lewis i mean um uh her family um actually tried to pay him to not marry her and that's why he doesn't want to go there it's not because they don't really like him it's well it is because they don't like him but it's not just because they don't get along but they tried to pay him not to marry her
1: damn not did, did they explain why? Because in this movie, I didn't really get why. Like, what was so bad it, well, about Lewis?
0: See, they don't explain it either. So they just don't think he's good enough for them because they're a rich family from Chicago. And he came from, like, even though he became a doctor, he came from, like, a really, like, you know, poor kind of working-class family, and he became a doctor. And then he wants to do, like... That's why he's working where he does. So he instead of working, like, you know, in a big city or like chicago or somewhere where he could make a lot of money being a doctor he wants to work in this small rural, rural, rural town to help people out yeah and they don't like that either because they because all they care about is like being rich and making money um did we mention that um uh denise Crosby is in this uh no she uh the lady that played tasha yar in star trek yes yeah, yeah so she's she the one that plays the, she plays yeah, she plays Rachel. We didn't talk about that, but we should have. But yeah, but that's why. So they that could have been explained better potentially. But yeah, in, in the book, like it's it's like he they just don't think he's good enough for their daughter, and that he doesn't really want to go because they tried to pay him off and to pay him not to marry her at one point.
1: Yes. So after the family goes to Chicago, Lewis is there by himself, he gets a call from Judd saying, Hey, uh pretty sure I got a dead cat. Am I am I uh in my yard. I'm pretty uh, sure it's your church cat. Pretty sure it's your cat. So they go over there and of course it is church. He has now been killed by the road. Um and then Judge's like, Well, it doesn't look like he suffered. And Louis like, Well, Ellie will suffer. It's, yeah. like, and it's like Judge's like, What are you gonna do with it? He's like, Well, I'm just gonna keep it in the garage and maybe dig it up later. Then, you know, I just don't wanna call up Ellie and ruin her time. You know, it's Thanksgiving in Chicago. I'm just gonna <laughs> when she gets back, maybe I'll break it to her and Judd's like looking around like, I have a better way. Uh-oh. So now they go to the pet cemetery. And Judd's like, okay, we're we gonna we're like, we gonna bury him here? He's like, no, no, no. We're gonna go beyond the pet cemetery. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Just c- climb up these trees and rocks. I used to do it all the time. And then Lewis like, well, don't no, go on there and I'll fall down and break my neck. He's like, No, no, you won't just follow me. And of course, Lewis yeah. goes down there and he falls out. <laughs> he falls down. So knowing what he so let's stop for a second.
0: So now I mean I know how have the benefit of having read the book, but so why, in your opinion, mm-hmm. would Judd do this? Well, knowing knowing what happens. Yeah. You know, knowing what happened to his dog, why why would he why would he uh why well, would he
1: do this? We're jumping a little bit ahead.
0: But we oh that's true. I'm jumping way ahead, but yeah. I'm just asking you why he would he would immediately tell him about the uh,
1: well he, about
0: the pet cemetery.
1: He he basically made a error in judgment. That, that's basically what he was saying. I guess he was he was trying to be like a, a nice old fr- uh, grandpa basically to these kids. Yeah, even though he just met him everything, and I right. guess he couldn't stand the fact of having another upset kid. So maybe he just thought, okay, maybe if we bury this cat in this Indian burial ground, the cat will come back fine. But it didn't work. Okay, I guess I guess so. But in the
0: book, it's because um, his wife Norma has a heart attack, and Judd saves her life. Uh, not Judd, uh, Lewis. Lewis saves her life. So okay. he's trying to repay Lewis. Gotcha. In some way for this, and he's like, I guess he's hoping it'll work this time. Yeah.
1: So you know, in this one, it's basically he just made a uh, error of judgment. Yeah. So at first, and I don't know about, so this, at first though, he seemed like he was like in on it. of how they made him seem. Like he, like he was like, maybe he was in on it and he wanted to create demons and stuff. Like he was going to be like the bad guy. But basically they, yeah, they, 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 they looked like they were going to turn him heel a little bit because he, he was like, Oh, we're almost there. We're almost there. He's like, you keep saying that. It's like, I mean it this time. We're almost there because they kept going through rocks they go go through forests and stuff they go through parts of water just to get to this ancient Indian burial ground and so when they get there you know it was like this ruin area and he basically says it's the ancient Indian burial ground and he said like you know you bury your dead here the soil is a little rough but you'll manage and I can't help you at all you have to bury your own exactly it's the Micmac burial ground yes all right. And so he sits down there, smokes a cigarette, and just watches him for hours dig up this little tiny hole for a cat. <laughs> uh-huh. yes. Which I'm going to come back to this later. Okay? And I, I, I'm going to ask for something later. Okay. So he puts the cat in there. They're at night time. They go home. They hear the phone ring. They all rush to the phone. And it doesn't answer in time. And then Judge comes up. It's like, hey, you know. Like not a word of what we did tonight. It's a secret. Lewis like, oh, what the hell? He's like, yeah, this. It's a secret. And you know, he's then he goes on to like this riddle thing. He's all like, listen, women, you know, they can keep secret stuff, but a man, a man's secret is like a, it's like a stone in your heart soil. Yes. You know, like like you bury the secret, but it's your own, and your own always comes back. Yep, I was like, okay, that's freaking okay. And, here we and go. he's right about it. he's right. Yes. Um, and then of course we hear like the uh the the, the dad is now talking to Ellie, and then because the phone's ringing now again, and I was like, hey, how's my cat doing? By the way, my cat, my cat. And I was like, oh boy. The dad's like, oh boy, <laughs> it's fine. I haven't seen him, but he's fine. And then the uh, the gauge is on there saying, I love you, and love you. But the dad's kind of like in a trance of like, what kind of like, what did he just do? You know, like. So basically, you know, the the heart of the story is they, Lewis and Rachel, don't have the, they don't have, they, they just don't want to tell Ellie about this death. You know, they're just going to feel too bad and they just don't Which feel like she's old. Yeah, it was understandable. Which, you know, this is like a real life situation. You know, when you're young, you have a young child that's really attached to something like a pet and stuff and it dies, it's hard to tell that child you know, hey, you're, you know your pet died and stuff, and like you know, it's it they take it to to heart. You know, I mean, so all this is like real life, like hard stuff um, to cope. Which I, that's why I really like the tone of the movie when it comes to that—the the very serious nature of the film. So now the cat has now arrived. Mm-hmm. Uh he's Lewis. Uh, like he's outside, and he sees. Like I I, pull, I called him the Demon Church Cat. It's mm-hmm. alive with his yellow eyes tries to feed the cat and now church is pawing and he's just kind of like he's like checking on the cat like really weird and scratches his face and now we have uh, we cut to the scene of Judd drinking some beer with Lewis mm-hmm. and this is when this is when they talk about the the church you know and then Lu- Lewis is just kind of confused like you know I buried that cat and like did I just bury the cat alive is that why he came back or like he's, he, Lewis doesn't believe that you could just bury something in this Indian burial ground and it will come back to life. He's like, maybe, like maybe the cat wasn't dead. Maybe I just buried him and he came back to life. And then mm. this is when Lewis
0: doesn't tell him what will happen, right? I mean, yeah, Lewis, Judd doesn't tell yep. Lewis what would happen, right? Yeah, he just yeah. Tells him to bury
1: him. Yeah, you just tell him to bury him there. All right. And this is when Judd says, "Like, all right, let me tell you a story about my my pet Spot." All right. So Spot, he died and shit. You know, he got he got mm. uh, he got cut up in like a uh, like a fence. You know, like a, he got caught up in the fence and I guess he died. And I had this old man tell me about this burial ground. So I I buried Spot in the pet and 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 beyond the pet cemetery in his burial ground. Mm. And when he came back, he just wasn't the same. He was just different. And he came back mm. and he was like attacking my mom and everything. And you know, my mom saw me. You know. Digger into the ground and he came out of the ground he's like he's like saying like yeah then i had to put then i finally had to put spot down again and i buried him in the pet cemetery and he's like i'm not really sure why i did what i did of of having you go there knowing the knowing the story that i had before he's like i basically i just wasn't ready to you know uh, maybe i just wasn't ready for the for let your dar know what death is what it really is yeah so basically it's an old man did the yeah. same thing to me yeah and i have to do the same thing to another child <laughs> yes so basically like the big tone of judd's character was he just made an error in judgment yeah. where he didn't want to see this this girl and this family He's, to be honest with you like some of it kind of makes sense so you, we could tell that maybe this judd guy was lonely you know what I mean? Because yeah. he's living by himself on this road. Nobody's around. And he said people wasn't living in a house for a long time. So maybe mm. he finally got a, a, a decent family that he's getting along with, with these kids that he's getting along with. And he was just trying to help out the family. Um, but, of course, it kind of backfired. Right. So This is another thing in the book that
0: makes more sense. So in the book, um, when Spot comes back, he doesn't attack anybody. He's He's not mean. He just doesn't. He's just not all there. like he's just he's not a dog like he's just a lifeless like in a book he describes him as a piece of meat. like he just um he's not he's not a real dog. like he's he's alive but he's not like running around and being a dog and he doesn't and and Judd doesn't have to kill him. He lives until he dies of old age, which is kind of weird because he came back from the grave, but he died of old age eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but um I mean, this makes a better movie. But I mean, but you could see, I could see how Judd might say, okay, well, if the cat's going to come back and just be lifeless, maybe that's better than Ellie being heartbroken with her cat being killed, especially when she warned everybody it was going to happen before she went to Chicago. And, you know, then, and he doesn't expect the cat to be mean because it doesn't make any sense in the movie why, like, well, if he's, she's going to come back, if he's going to come back and be mean, why would we... Why would we, why would we do it? But in the book, it makes a little bit more sense.
1: So now Lewis asked, Judd, Hey, uh, there buried any person down there. And then this is my favorite part. Joe's like, Oh, what the, he like freaks out, beard drops. Why would why you the do fuck that? Would you do that? Christ? Why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. He just freaks out. Just
0: why would he piss. even ask this question? <laughs> why would you even <laughs> ask this question at this point in the movie? Like Have you ever buried a
1: person in there? It just freaks the way he freaked out was just I loved it. That was like my favorite scene. It's like, wow, what the why'd you ask that question? (laughs) Of course not. What are you talking about? We'll get there. And what does he say? Like Christ on his cross or something like like that. Yes. (laughs) So now Lewis is taking a bath, and then the dead church demon cat throws a rat in the bath and they start fighting each Mm -hmm. other, which I thought was funny. So now we have the family back in Chicago. Um, this is when they're calling, um, they're calling Lewis. She's, Ellie is asking again, is as church all right? She had a dream about the, the, the cat getting hit by a car. And that, and then that, that, uh, that uh, Lewis buried him in the pet cemetery. And it's like, how the hell is she seeing all this shit? <laughs> um, And then of course the dad's saying, you know, I, the church is okay. I just still, I just, you know, haven't seen him around lately. So this is a weird scene so now we see Missy she's writing a suicide note which I didn't really get to read what it said because it was like in a really hard to see cursive and then she just hangs herself so what's the what's the story with this? was there like a story of this in the book or something? nope this is not in the book Okay,
0: and not that I remember this does not happen in the book um, I'm pretty sure Missy survives the entire story she's just a she's just a side character in the story in the book She she's just like she's just a character that interacts with the family she doesn't really have a major part in the, in the book, um, but like in this story, she's like a she's like a, uh, a, a, a a cross between Norma, who was Judd's wife, and um and this Missy character. But yeah, in the in the movie, I mean, other than she talks about how her stomach pains are a problem, um, uh, it you know other than she talks about her stomach pains getting to her. There's no real reason for her to kill herself, but she does in the book. I mean, the only thing I Um, can think... Norma eventually dies, gets sicker and dies in in the book, but it has nothing to do with the main story.
1: I mean, the only reason I could think that they had this was, they, like I said, they gave her hints of her stomach hurting and then her being very depressed about not having any kind of husband. So maybe all that kind of trickled, and that's why she eventually took her life. And then, of course, um, this also led to um, Rachel... You know, being a little uncomfortable and sick because she's not comfortable with death. So maybe they—they they probably added that in to kind of like um, uh, steer us into the motion of why Rachel is not uh, a fan of death. Yes. Um. Um. Go ahead.
0: No, I was gonna say, and also, um, I—I I, um, I don't think in the book, I don't think Church attacks anybody in the book either. I think Church just comes back, and he's just weird. Got he's like this weird, creepy cat. I don't think he actually attacks anybody.
1: Yeah, so these every time they the, the demons come back in this um, this story they, they attack everybody. So mm-hmm. so now we're at the uh, the burial for Missy, and we ought, we have none other than Stephen King being a pastor, and and lowering Missy into the ground. So I thought that was a cool little cameo that he did. Yes. Uh, now Lewis said uh, uh, so. Now Judd and, and Lewis are talking with each other, and they were saying that Rachel she couldn't attend the. Um, the the, the the wake um because she's like feeling sick and ill and everything and this is when Lewis says oh my dad has a saying God has God see, he God sees everything and he waits. Yes. And then um the judge's like oh, okay how's that cat? How's your cat doing? And Louis is like that's not my cat, it's Ellie's cat. He's like, It's your cat now. Your cat now.
0: It's your <laughs>
1: cat now so now now we're going to have more scenes of Ellie. She's, we're back at the house, mm. and Ellie is now asking if Missy is going to heaven. So and of course, Rachel looks uncomfortable during all this, and they they, they basically talk about, you know, so he's kind of in the, the talk with her about what happens when people dies, and then Lewis gives basically a story where he thinks people like move on, like they just move on to like a different chapter. Mm-hmm. And then my, the mom is, is basically <clears throat> she gets like scared, scared off and so be, so now we get a scene of Rachel and, and, and Lewis talking to each other. and this is when um, Rachel's basically apologizing a lot <clears throat> because she's not t- comfortable doing the death talk. and yeah. there's reasons be- because of it. So she gives us this whole story about her sister, yes, um, that had a bad um, <clears throat> she had like a spinal problem.
0: Yeah, she had spinal meningitis.
1: Yes. And she the family would leave a young eight eight-year-old Rachel to tend to her, to feed her and stuff. And has an eight year old kid, she 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 hated going in there because um her sister would scare her all the time. Mm-hmm. And she just kind of wanted her sister to die because of all the pain that she was going through and being scared of her sister, like because her sister, you know, obviously was had that disease on her. And eventually that disease made her go insane. And there was one time that she was left alone at the house while the parents were out, leaving her alone to babysit her at eight years old to her mentally insane sister, who was deadly ill and kept in the back room, you know, hidden from hidden from the family. And when she was there trying to feed her one day, it looked like the sister was going to choke It was choking herself and she thought like oh crap like the the family's gonna think i killed her like i i I choked her and stuff and eventually the the sister the sister with the back uh disease choked herself out and rachel ran out of there screaming because she saw her deranged sister that she had to go feed all the time just kill herself in front of her and everybody thought that she was like crying about it but she was really laughing because the pain of her dying you know was uh was was a relief to her, so ever since then you know she's been very like weird about death and yeah. you know and then this is when Lewis is like yeah the, the trauma should never have been happening your your family should have never left you at eight years old with your you know mentally insane sister who had that medical disease, which i mean he's right i mean they should probably he's should right have never yeah, done he's that. right. So So one thing I
0: wanted to mention about this scene is this scene is one of the reasons that I don't watch this movie. And I don't think I've seen it since I don't know if I've seen it since the movie came out originally. So on this show, we've talked about all kinds of horrendous things. Horrible, horrible scenes that we've watched of gore of people. You know, in City of the Living Dead, we watched uh, Mm -hmm. a woman regurgitate her intestines. We watched all these Italian horror movies with her eye gouging scenes. We've watched all these terrible things, and none of that shit bothers me. But this scares the shit out of me. Yeah, and I don't know why, but it just, it's just it's it's it just terrifies me. Like this shit is just fucking scary. Yeah. Um. And they did a really good job of this in the movie and making it really scary. Um. Well, you know, yeah, because know. it's a
1: real disease. That's why.
0: <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it could really happen, right? Like yeah. I could
1: get spinal meningitis, and that could happen to me.
0: Um, yeah, I guess. And then, like um, what? And then, what yeah. if
1: you have like a, a you know a family that leaves you as a young kid, you know, mm-hmm. taking care of a sibling that you fear? Yeah, you know that's going to create exactly. a lot of a lot of trauma. With exactly, you. exactly, exactly. So but, you yeah, know, this is terrifying. Which is you know what? Which, which I like about this story because they use a lot of real things in life that can scare and traumatize somebody. Yes. So that's why this story is like so great when it comes to the, the deeper meaning of it. Right. So after we get the, the story, uh, we see, a, you know, we're showing more trucks running around the uh, on the road. And we're having the whole Creed family and Judd. They are now flying the kite, brother. All right. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> now we have the uh, truck driver. He's listening to that Ramon song that we talked about earlier. Yep. And he's like going quick. like He's really into this song, brother. All right. So now we have Gage. He is flying the kite. And Ellie wants to fly the kite. And she's getting mad about it. And they're like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. You know, she eventually says some cuss word too, which is funny. Mm-hmm. And now the gauge is now flying the kite. But now again, Lewis is now distracted by Ellie because she is <laughs> complaining about doing the, the kite. And that kite is like kind of flying away. And then Gauge is running after the kite. And then it was Judd who sees Gauge. It's like, it's like, Lewis, don't let him go on the road. And, <laughs> uh-uh. and they're like, oh, fuck, we didn't I mean, pay it, attention to this kid again. And they run after him. <laughs> It shouldn't be funny, but it
0: is. Because they just continually don't not pay attention to the little kid.
1: Yeah, which you have to at that age. I mean, they fucking get (laughs) around everywhere. Of course. So the kid is basically on the road, and then Lewis doesn't. He falls down. And, of course, we had that big scene of the truck hitting the kid, which is, you know, shocking. I mean, and Stephen King, he's known to do this. You know, he did that in It. He did it in this movie, uh, where we use, like, a little kid's death, and we kind of, like, build our plot Around that, um so now we're at the uh now this is when this movie gets kind of like you know it gets serious, you know, I mean it wasn't before, but now it's getting to like the uncomfortable levels, yes. so and you know, I thought this scene was like crazy, so you know Lewis is looking around photos of all gage and everything, obviously he's upset uh judge trying to talk to Lewis a little bit and he's like, hey, you know. You know, we 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 gotta like kind of like take care of Ellie a little bit. You know, you start talking to your daughter. You know, Ellie comes in. She doesn't want to sleep in the same room as um as Rachel because she keeps moving around. Judge sees a picture in uh, her hand. It's a it's of her engage. You know, and a, a, her bringing Gage in that little um we call the things wheels something uh. a bucket whatever. <clears throat> so and then I'm um, trying to think of what you're talking about. The, but a the bucket, little, sure. Okay. The little, you know, it has wheels on it. You can haul them around in there. Can't believe I forgot what this is. A stroller? A stroller, yeah. Okay, all right. A bucket. All right, very good. A bucket with wheels, brother. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's awesome. That's what that's what <laughs> it should be called.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a bucket with wheels-like structure. Okay. <laughs> and then this is when Judge um, telling like, "Hey, your little girl needs you and stuff." and 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 he didn't you could tell judge like you know trying to be like the the grandpa of everybody you know trying to like help take care of everybody so now we're at this is this fucked up scene right here so mm-hmm. we're at gage's funeral all right and we have rachel's dad erwin mm-hmm. fucking going up to fucking lewis and telling him off i knew this was gonna happen uh, I fucking knew it, you fucking, you didn't pay attention to your kid at once, I knew that shit was gonna happen, you're just a child killer, he starts attacking his ass, punching his ass, and then Irving, he pushes him a little bit, falls on the fucking kid, uh, Gage's ca- coffin, Coughin coffin pops up a little bit, Lewis is about to go yeah. beat his ass, but some family member uh, calms him down, so it's just a very chaotic scene at the, at the at the at the wake again. And then now, uh, now Lewis is on uh, putting Ellie, Ellie to bed. We've kind of calmed down a little bit at night. Um, and then she, she's like, she's feeling like, she's feeling fate that God will bring back Gage. Like she starts talking to all this stuff about, like, you know, she, she, she mm-hmm. thinks Gage is going to come back. Um, because, you know, they really haven't had the, the, the full death talk with her yet. So, so now, <laughs> so, uh, Lewis goes into the room. Rachel, the cat's there. The cat's all sleeping near the wife, and is getting all pissy now. The cat was, so they left. So now, Ju- uh, so Judd is in his house, mm. and uh, he said, uh, so so after you know, so so basically, Lewis tries to go to the to the bed with Rachel, but then the cat's in there, and he's like, "Fuck this! I'm gonna go downstairs." So Judd yeah. now enters the house, and Lewis is downstairs. And then Judge basically saying, like, listen, um, you know, I'm sorry you had to bury but you know you gotta bury the kid and he feels like it's his fault that the kid died. And the reason he feels that way is because he showed him the the gravesite. And then he um he, he says like listen, I gotta tell you the story. He's like <laughs> tell I tell you another story. I will tell you another <laughs> story. I wasn't very truthful with you when you asked did they ever bury a person in that ancient burial Indian ground it actually did happen it happened after the second world war there's a man named Timmy Betterman Bateman, Timmy Bateman yeah, t- yeah, Timmy Bateman and his father, he came back from the war and he was like dead basically, so the father yeah. <laughs> go ahead yeah, he was killed in the war, I guess yes, yes. <laughs> And he, the father got the body, and he buried him in the that, uh, that cemetery over there. And then what came back, you know, it wasn't him. You might think it's him. He might look like him. But it's not him. It's somebody else. And why he's saying this, we could see, like, yeah. the Timmy, like, being like a zombie, basically. Like, eating body parts and stuff. And he's going. And then this is when he does a great line. You know, Judd's going, like, you know, it's like... You know, sometimes you know, dead is better. You know, yeah, when, when yeah, you, sometimes when, dead is better. When you go and, and bury somebody past the pet cemetery, you know, they might they might come back. They might look like the person you uh, buried, but they're not. They're something else, something evil. It's like sometimes be- dead's better. And the town knew it. Mm. Uh, uh, Timmy's dad knew it, or Timmy's dad, uh, mm-hmm. Timmy's mother knew it. When when they, she she saw him walk up to the house, she freaked out. And then she called us, and we knew this was an abomination. So we went to his house to take care of the problem. And then you can can see them, a young Judd, going up to the house and telling the the dad to get out of there. And I saw his son, and then, of course, the dad was like, no, this is my son. This is my son. We can't, you know, you can't take him. And then they fucking just (laughs) pour gasoline in the fucking house and just burn the shit down. Mm -hmm. So, and he said, like, you know, like I said, you know, sometimes dead is better. I know what you're thinking. All right. But I wouldn't do that. All right. Let's keep the dead, you know, better. And like, he's basically blaming himself. Like, you know, I, and he's telling him story of this because he's like, the reason this is happening is because I showed you the power. And that's why I feel responsible, you know, for, for your son's death. Mm-hmm. But don't do this, but don't do this. And of course, like I know you're thinking about that, but don't do it. (laughs) So, (laughs) so he's kind of like foreshadowing and warning him not to do what he's thinking. So now, after after he got tell not story, apparently um, Ellie and Rachel they're going to be going with um, Rachel's parents back to Chicago for a couple days. And uh, Louis is going to stay and he's going to be coming to them in three days to kind of like unwind from this situation. And this is when um, Ellie, she doesn't want uh, the to, to go. She wants to stay with her dad because she thinks the dad's going to do something bad. And she got warned by a, uh, a ghost named Pascal that there's mm-hmm. um, going to be some bad stuff happening if the dad is left alone. <clears throat> and they like said the dad's going to be going there in three days. And why? And then there's also too, when we see Lewis and Irwin, they kind of make up a little bit, you know, saying everything was just been very chaotic lately. So now Lewis, it doesn't listen to Judd at all. And he goes to Gage's grave <laughs> to dig him up. Yeah. So, and then this is when Ellie is now telling the mom that she had a bad dream and she was visited by a ghost named Pascal. And he was, don't worry, he's a friendly ghost. All right. And like he was, Casper. Yeah, like Casper. Warning him of what the dad's going to do. And the mom realizes like, okay, I heard the name Pasco before. And now we have the Pascal ghost who is really the, uh, the the kid who died, that Victor kid. He is mm. now like giving friendly advice to, to the mom, Rachel to to help warn mm. them. For, for not for for trying to stop Lewis from burying Gage in the ancient Indian burial ground. So now, yes. so this and the reason Victor is doing this is because there was a point where he met Lewis at the certain point of death where he can communicate with him now. Do like the certain point of death on there. Mm-hmm. So now, no, this is also too when they're. To when the mom realizes you know okay there's actually uh, the Pascal guy the the guy who like uh, that Lewis took care of so she's trying to call up Lewis now and she can't get a hold of him So now Lewis is digging up the grave all right and the cops try to come by they flash their lights they don't see him he gives like a little evil smile and this is also too when uh, Rachel she calls up Jud. She's like, "Hey, Judd, have you seen uh, Lewis?" He's like, "No, I thought he was with you." He's like, "No, he's not with me." He's like, "Oh, okay, that's not good." And she's like, "I'm coming home." He's like, "No, don't do that, Rachel. Don't do it." He's like, "I'm coming mm. home." I'm like, "No, stop, stop." He's like, "Oh, shit." <laughs> so then, um, so then Judd grabs a six pack of Budweiser. All right, he goes out to the porch. He's like, "All right, all right, old man, you really screwed up this time." <laughs> he's like. You know i gotta take i'm gonna you know i started this i gotta take care of it so i guess he's gonna wait at his house for the demon child to come back but what happens judd probably drink a little too many Budweiser, so he passes out so now so now uh lewis grabs gage's body holds him very tight and now he's going to take him all the way past the pet cemetery and this seems a lot quicker than when they did the cat. So he takes them, he gets there pretty quickly and he buries them very quickly. So what I'm thinking is <laughs> like, you know, remember last yeah. time we, they dug up the cat, took them like five hours to do it. It took him
0: hours. Yeah.
1: You know, this one, it only took it like a minute. So maybe yeah. he just put a bunch of rocks on them.
0: Cause that's what it looked maybe. like. Or maybe he buried him in the same hole the cat was in.
1: Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Maybe. Yeah. It's all right. He
0: already dug the hole. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so one thing I think is weird about this is like it doesn't take him very long to dig up the grave either. Yeah. Like, I mean, can you imagine how long it would take to dig a hole six feet deep in the ground? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. it has to take hours, right? I mean, it has to. Yeah. Has to. Um, by yourself. Um, I don't even know if you could do it overnight. But um, but, he's but uh, I also think it's weird that um he could hold uh Gage's body. Although that's a really powerful scene where he's like holding Gage's body. Yeah. But like, I just can't believe that a child that small would really have anything left after getting hit by a truck like that. Like yeah. I I mean I can't imagine there would be anybody left. Like he would just be in pieces,
1: I would think. But I mean I don't know. I'm no doctor. Yeah. Well, you know. We gotta have some sort of movie here. That's true. So now the Chicago house is haunted now. All right. We have all these pictures moving mm-hmm. around and now Rachel sees her dead sister. And so she's like I'm coming for you Rachel. This time I'm really coming for you. It's like me and Gage are finally going to get you and we're going to get you mm. for letting us die. And of course she wakes up in the airport and she was like, "Good. <laughs> it was just a dream." <laughs> right? Just a dream. And then we have Rachel she's running through the whole airport like some home alone shit. And then she finally makes it and um uh she trying to makes it to the to the to the I guess her 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 flight. I guess she has changing flights, that she makes it to and and the Casper, the friendly Pascal ghost, is helping her succeed. So Judge is asleep, all right. So this is when you know. So like 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 we talked about, Louis he brought Gage to the whole forest, smoking lights, trees falling down everywhere. Here's a bunch of ghosts. He sees like some sort yep. of like demon face pop up out of him. He's like, oh, this is okay. Yep, no Uh, problem. Yeah, not no problem here. All right, all these ghosts trying to warn me—it's all good. (laughs) And basically, his thing was like Lewis's thing was okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring Gage back to life. I'm gonna hang out with him for a little bit. Then if I need to, I'll 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 put him down again. So obviously, Lewis is just going through a a ton of trauma. You know, it's not thinking straight, and none of these signs are none of these signs are, are helping. Yeah, he's desperate at this point. Yes. So Rachel now rents a car. And it's helped from the Casper-friendly Pascal ghost. And then she gets a flat. And the ghost is like, no, it's trying to stop you. You're close, but it's trying to stop you. Keep going. Push, push. I need you to push. So we have dad. Lewis puts the gauge in the ground fast. And now the kid is basically back home now. So it's really quick. Really quick yeah. turnaround for this one. So, Demon Gage, Kate wakes wakes up. Rachel, she passes by a lobster sign. I don't know, Mm -hmm. I thought that was funny. We have a 24 hour lobster. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. So, there's 24 hour lobster places. You could just go in there and get a lobster? Uh,
0: Apparently so. (laughs) You can just go and get a lobster 24 hours a day in Maine, apparently.
1: So, now she gets a ride from a truck driver. All right, so now the door opens down back to the house. We have demon gauge and he goes and he searches and he grabs the, uh, Lewis's like knife, his little scalpel. Yeah. So now we're having the cats going towards Judd's house. Now and Judd finally wakes up after his beer come on. It's like, Oh, it's like, Oh shit. And he sees like footprints <laughs> and stuff. He's like, Oh boy. So he goes Uh-oh. upstairs. We hear, we see a ball kids laughing. So this is when we start getting the creepy parts of the movie. He goes upstairs. Here's a young Gage playing around, playing games. Judge has a switchblade on him. He's looking for Gage. And then Judge gets distracted by the cat saying, oh, what are you doing here, church? And then he, and then uh, Demon Gage cuts the ankle of Judge. And he cuts his fucking mouth. And he eventually eats his fucking throat. And I was like, oh, shit. get yes. this demon kid. He's going crazy on him. So he kills Judd. So there he goes, and then the demon cat looks on, all happy. So Rachel now makes it home, thanks the creepy uh, truck driver. He's saying, "Oh, it's all good. I didn't get a ticket." And of course, while the ghost is saying, "Like I can't go any further. I can't go any further. This is the last road for me. Mm. Do what you must, but I'm worried." So Rachel's outside, kind of near her house, but she hears her name being talked to by the demon Gage ghost. Yeah. laughing, so he goes inside. She looks all around the house. Uh, She asks for Judd a bunch of times while hearing noises. So she goes into that room where Judd was killed, and she sees her, her sister, her deadly sister, saying, "Finally, I finally came back for you." All right. Well, terrifying. Yeah. So I'm finally, and she goes to grab her and shit. so after the uh, so the, the 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 terrifying demon sister now is like finally get back for you, and I'm never getting out back, never getting out of bed again, never getting out of bed again. Scares her ass. And then she sees Demon Gage. He's like in a hat and like some sort of like skirt or something. Kind of kind of <laughs> cool. Yeah. And eventually you know obviously it's, it's her child that died so she's gets her guard down and eventually we hear a flash of of the demon cutting down the mom while we see the flash of the truck hitting young gage mm-hmm. so lewis falls out of bed sees a knife thing is like his little scalpel knife is missing irving calls it's like hey uh is hey, where's rachel at I just want to make sure she got there, you know, okay. And he's seeing footprints in there. Yeah. He's like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> he's, like, he's like, oh, yeah, she's fine and stuff. She's just sleeping right now. I was like, well, I, I really want to talk to her because this Ellie girl has been saying, like, she's dead. <laughs> All right? Right. <laughs> nope, everything's like, fine here. Yeah, uh, everything's no fine. Don't worry about it. And he puts <laughs> the window down and he calls again. He answers like, I don't have time to talk. And then it's just the kid saying, oh, I was playing with mommy, and now I want to play with you. And he's like, oh, shit no shit so now so now Lewis is like oh shit I fucked up and now I gotta like fix all this shit alright and he now gets his uh, needle I guess has some deadly chemicals in it Yeah, and he sees church and he puts like the um, he kind of distracts church with a big piece of meat and he's saying like today is thanksgiving for dead cats only. <laughs> that was great. And then he gets the cat, cat. Grabs him. Pots the needle to him. Kills the cat again. From this. Needle. hmm And he's like saying. Lay down. Play dead. Be dead. Cat. So Lewis goes into the house. The house is like turned into some sort of wasteland somehow. He sees Rachel's shoes. The the demon gauge is like, hey, I'm just playing with you. I just want to play with you like I did mommy. And uh, you know, of course they're going back and forth saying so, you know, let's play together. Uh, so Lewis goes to the bedroom, sees dead Judd, and then eventually he runs into Rachel, like a Rachel like pops out and she's like hanging from her neck, and you can see the little demon gauge on top and he attacks. Um, he talks, um, Lewis. So we start having like this little fight, and like the the demon gauge is like cutting him good, like in the stomach and everything. I thought he was gonna get his ass, but eventually Lewis like pushes him off a little bit, and he's basically he tells him to come over here, like, you know, mm-hmm. hey, like give him like a little hug, and then eventually when he does it, he puts the needle in the neck, and then, and then the little demon kid was like, <laughs> no, <laughs> no fair, no fair,
0: right, that, that wasn't <laughs>
1: fair at all. It <laughs> just drops down, <laughs> looks a all sad. I'm like what the hell? <laughs> that was that was kind of random. That part was a little random. Yeah. Okay? Now, obviously, it was the demon talking? No fair, because I guess you know the demon is in a kid's body, so like he couldn't do a whole lot, even though he's doing a lot. Like he was doing like Chucky shit over yeah. here. Yeah. Exactly. So now Lewis grabs some gas and he burns the place down. He takes Rachel's body out, and of course casper the pascal friendly ghost said he was sorry but don't make it worse please yeah please don't make it worse it'll it'll work this time yeah and then lewis is like listen listen ghost guy i'm talking to you now it's gonna work this time because rachel she just died all right i waited too long with gage i waited too long with the cat but she just died everything's gonna be fine he's like no yeah no it's not bro (laughs) okay it's not gonna be fine it's not gonna be fine he's like fuck he just walks past and doesn't listen to him He's like, no. <laughs> all right. So, Lewis brings Rachel all the way to the fucking ancient burial ground where he has to go up rocks. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy, he's, he's determined to get to have this shit work. All right? He's yep. determined this ancient burial ground, this shit's going to work, brother. So, he buries her in the stones, goes back to the house, plays the little cards. Looks like solitaire. Waits for the door to unlock. It does. We see a demon hand pop in there. Um, And it's Demon Rachel now. And he's all happy seeing her. And he goes for a hug. And of course, this is when we see Rachel's face is all bloody and slimy and gooey and shit. Mm -hmm. it's all kissing each other. And she grabs for a knife. And then we end the movie, brother, with a scream. Yeah. Then we get the uh, Ramones Pet Cemetery song to lead us out. Yep. And not everybody is the Stephen King Pet Cemetery. Yeah. Fun movie. Classic. I really liked it. It's classic. a classic
0: movie. Yeah, it's a, re- it's a good movie. It is a really good movie. Yeah. Um, The movie ending is a little bit different. Like, all those things happen. But instead of sh- him stabbing or her stabbing him, it just ends with basically he buries her and then he goes back and sits in the kitchen waiting for her to come back. And then she comes back and she says, like, darling or something like that. And then he describes her putting her hand on his shoulder and then the book ends.
1: Yeah. And that's how this movie Roger Richard gonna end as well too, but they kind of hmm. wanted to make it a little bit more like gruesome at the end.
0: Yeah. So there's also one other big difference that I did want to mention too. So it doesn't the book that I mean the movie doesn't make it doesn't really make sense as to why like you were mentioning why Gage would was chewing on Judd's neck. Um. But in the book, um, he they talk about, um. Uh, the wendigo the myth of the the story of the wendigo and like the wendigo is like a like a northern indian story about how like this creature like turns humans into cannibals or whatever so that's like kind of what happens in the book is like they he kind of implies that the wendigo is like haunting this land and that's why anytime he buries somebody a human in the land in that land they come back as a cannibal
1: gotcha that makes sense but yeah, I love this movie.
0: I mean, I think it's really good. Like I said, I don't watch it because of the Zelda scenes scare the shit out of me. Yeah. But um but yeah, I mean this movie's really good. It it might have been it's probably one of the better Stephen King uh uh versions, I think, made into a movie.
1: Yes, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely one of the top ones. You know, acting's really good, storyline's good, no, yes. plot's really good. Um, you know, it has a lot of realistic tones to it. Um, you know talk about death and and coming back and reincarnation mm-hmm. and you know a lot of teaching kids about death and it's very, very very strong you know having trauma with with death and mm-hmm. you know very very good storytelling when it comes to this movie so pretty hot movie to end our uh, cemetery month off graveyards of cemetery yeah. months off everybody so hope you all enjoyed this review here on the retro blood and come join us next month in april as me and Allison will be back. And we'll be starting a whole new month of evil scientist and sci-fi shit in 1980s mm-hmm. horror movies. Because we're going to start off hot, brother. Because we're going to be talking all about David Cronenberg's The Fly.
0: Yeah, this is going to be great. I can't wait for this.
1: And it's going to be fun, too. Because I don't mm-hmm. believe I actually had never seen The Fly. Mm. Which is crazy because I'm a big fan of David Cronenberg's uh, films. So I know a little bit about it, but I don't know a lot about it, The Fly. So this is going to be a very, very fun review started off um, April 2nd. But everybody, we do have to announce that we have a challenge that that I made to one J.A. Allison, because Mm. we are coming back for a special lights out, brother. Yeah. I challenged him to watch and review WrestleMania 17. to to correlate with Wrestlemania 39 happening April 1st, uh, this coming Saturday actually, April 1st and we're doing this special lights out to kind of give everybody a, uh, what happened 22 years ago at Wrestlemania around the 2001 era, you know talk about all the big matches, from that Wrestlemania talk about storylines, talk about the merger of WCW and ECW to the WWF. A whole lot of fun stuff to kind of get people you know, prepared a little bit for this year's Wrestlemania. So come join us this Saturday for a special Lights Out. We always love doing those, talking about different things that we can't necessarily talk about here on the Retro Blood. Yeah. Um, so that one would be really fun. So it's going to be a jam-packed weekend. You know, we're going to have the Hell fucking yeah, Lights Out. On Saturday we're going to have the Fly. On that Sunday, we're gonna have WrestleMania Mm -hmm. night one and night two. It's very very fun weekend. We like to create weekends around here for everybody. So yeah, hope you all enjoy it. Weekend will be a big weekend. It's gonna be a big weekend, everybody. So, but uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, uh, thanks for everybody for joining us here on the Retro Blood, talking all about cemeteries and graveyards. We had a fantastic month. They're very very enjoyed this month. Um, you know, start sending it all hot with a nice pace story. You know, of course, we had a couple of uh, a couple couple of funny ones. You know, mausoleum on there and stuff. Uh, mm, yeah, they're very very yeah, fun reviews yeah. that we had. So I I, I, I love it. But uh, we'll give the whole schedule next month of all of our scientist and sci-fi stuff in 1980s horror movies. But you know, obviously, like every retro blood will end it with a song. And how can we not mm-hmm. end this retro blood with Pet Cemetery? The uh, the, yeah. the the music that was made for this movie. So this is the Ramones Pet Cemetery, everybody. And just remember, if you have some tragic, you know, loss in your life, be careful of, of sending them off to an ancient burial ground. Listen to our boy Judd, just remember how he freaked out every time somebody would bring that up, and I'll stop you. No problem. There. Sometimes but, dead is better. Sometimes dead is better, brother. All right, everybody. Jay Austin, James Klein, you will check you guys later. See ya. Live my life again I don't want to be
0: buried In a pet cemetery I don't want to live my life again Fall addicted to the sacred place This ain't a dream I can't escape More some fangs that clicking picking up bones Morning among the tombstones And at night when the moon is bright someone cries for being right I don't want to be buried In a pet cemetery I don't want to live my life again I don't
1: want to be buried in a cemetery I don't want to live
0: my life again The moon is full, the air is still All of a sudden I feel a chill Victor is green and flesh is running away Skeleton dance, I curse these days And I'm not one wolves cry out. Listen close
1: then you can hear me shout I don't want